Welcome back to another episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. On today's show, can a brand really have 54 trillion different products? This one does. More on that in a second. If you're brand new, Authentic Influence is a show about how some of the most interesting brands in the world mobilize their masses to become more authentic. We all know that everybody's different, especially when it comes to their hair care and their needs. And today we're on with a woman named Lorna Somerville. She's the Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Customer Experience Officer of Function of Beauty. They're a director consumer company in hair care and shampoo and conditioner and the like that offers about 54 trillion different formulations of its product, meeting the needs so that no two people need receive the same type of treatment. And we talk about what such a data-driven business like that does when it comes to building one-to-one relationships as well as sharing stories authentically. So we talk about that as well as a particularly interesting quote towards the end of the episode when, as always, we go into advice as to help to become more authentic as a marketer and in marketing. I was really privileged to have Lorna on and to feature Function of Beauty because I genuinely don't think that there's another company out there that has such a custom offering. And now you'll get to hear all about it. I'll step away and let you listen into our podcast from today from Function of Beauty. Here's Lorna Somerville. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. I am here with Lorna Somerville from Function of Beauty. Lorna, thank you so much for joining the show today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you, especially because, and you'll explain for me and for our listeners why this is true in a second, but I think that this may be one of the most uh, unique organization I've spoken with, not, not because of the space that you're in, but because of the product line. Everything is extremely custom, in fact, unique, nearly, but I want you to help me by uh, illustrating for our listeners what exactly Function of Beauty is all about. And also, of course, I want to know how you came to the business because I know that you've been in places like Beverage before. You've certainly been within direct-to-consumer before. So there's tons of experience leading to this moment. But why Function of Beauty? Why now? Sure. Um, So I'll start with my Function of Beauty. Um, Fundamentally, my boss is... is more of a problem solver than a a beauty nut he definitely wasn't someone who was you know participating in the beauty category and and thinking about these things but through his um his thesis as part of his phd program he started to look at the hair care space and understood that it's one of the categories that has the lowest satisfaction levels out of all consumer products and he dug in to try and understand why that's the case and through that process learned that obviously every woman has different hair just in terms of their hair type, their hair structure, their scalp moisture, but they also have different goals for their hair. So, you know, some women are looking for color protection, others are looking for frizz control or whatever the case may be. And then the the nugget that really struck him was that they have more than one goal. So on average, a woman has four different hair goals. So she might want color protection and frizz control and volumizing, but and the way that the traditional hair care category has operated, you have to choose one of those things. You can't get all of those in one product. And so that's why satisfaction is so low. And so he dug into that and he was like, well, well, what if you could formulate to be able to meet all of these different needs? And he realized that there was no way to do that within the traditional retail environment. You would just need way too many SKUs. It's just impractical. You would need enormous stores dedicated to hair care to be able to make all of these offerings. And so in that way, I think it's really interesting that this business can't exist in any other environment other than direct to consumer. 
So he went off and he tapped two friends. So Josh, who's the other co-founder, was his best friend at MIT. And Josh left uh, MIT and went to the Navy, was literally a, a nuclear engineer in the Navy um, and didn't really see himself going down a path of hair care. But when Zahir talked to him about this challenge and that there was just like a fundamentally better way to approach this issue, Josh understood that and, and thought that that was really interesting and compelling and how to build the operational side to be able to actually make all these different formulations was a really interesting challenge to him. And then he and as someone that Zahir had met through his PhD program, she's a formulation chemist, has eight years of experience uh, working in, in, um, in manufacturing. And so she understood from a formulation perspective, all the different things that you could do if you had all this information on your customers. And so the three of them kind of set out together five years ago to, to bring this business to market. I joined them about a year and a half ago at this point. And as you mentioned, my career today, I've never been the most strategic around, you know, making the moves I've made, but I have, um, I've had to try to be thoughtful about where am I going to learn the most? What's really going to stretch my experience and, and build my capabilities. And what was appealing to me about function is that there is no business that I've ever come across that has as much data on your on your customer as Function of Beauty does because we're a hair care company who has all of this information on what people are seeking for their hair. That just to me opened up a world of infinite possibilities of what we could do from a marketing perspective and a customer experience perspective. And so that was really appealing and that's why I joined. I think that, well, I, I, my, the hunch that I had was uh, obviously it's proven here, but it taps into so many different things that brands care about today, whether they care about it uh, proactively or whether it's because they see other people caring about it. So suddenly they need to care about it. And I don't mean some of the things that really came to light like 10 years ago, like personalization, but really when it comes to like one-to-one -one relationships and that first party data, making sure that you have all those unique guests about people to be sure that you are on as unique a cadence and uh, dimension as possible, making sure that they are getting the best experience possible. So when I see something like 54 trillion possible formulations of what Function of Beauty brings to market, which is a real number. Listeners, yep. you can fact check me on that. That's the truth. Such that no two people need the same thing. I mean, they might. They might. That is an incredible foundation on which to build a business which is developing unique relationships with everybody, not just because of their hair care needs, but because of the building blocks uh, that, that, that end in that hair care. So that's very, very, very interesting to me. And what an incredible opportunity. I mean, having stepped into the direct to consumer space prior to that with Harry's another huge organization here and working for somebody and reporting directly to somebody in Jeff Rader, who, who's a visionary there. I think it's a wonderful step for you. Wow. What a, what a, what a great way to, to continue, you know, on in, in, in your mission of marketing fantastic brands. It makes me curious about the ways in which you build the team today. And maybe it relies upon ways in which you've built teams in the past, I'm curious to learn more of the building blocks of you to figure out, okay, well, what principles does or do Lorna think is important when it comes to building teams, when it comes to building brands, when it comes to bettering these relationships? You got all this data at your disposal, which is, I'm sure, a new asset compared to where you've had elsewhere. But what are these sort of overlying values which you hold, which allow you to bring these relationships forward, maybe even if you didn't have the data? I mean, I think the core of what makes a good marketing team is the same, whether you're in the Coca-Cola company or Harry's or Function of Beauty, and that 
uh, it's about listening to the consumer. The marketing team, more than any other function in the organization, needs to be thinking first and foremost, what is the customer problem that we're trying to solve? And what is the optimal experience for them to solve that problem? And if you do that well, you should be, you know, driving great revenue for the business, but no one else is going to ask that question. It's on us to make sure that that is what's staying front and center. And so when you're in a bigger, more traditional organization, you're doing things like focus groups and brand health tracking and all of those good things. But, you know, the beauty of a direct to consumer business is that you can just get those answers almost instantaneously. So whether it's, you know, developing creative in a traditional org, you work with an agency, you get some different options, you might do a focus group or a link test or something to that effect to get a read on that. And then you put it out in the world, you monitor it over some period of time. And then, you know, after after you've sunk all your money, you really get to understand, did that do what I wanted it to or not? In a direct to consumer environment, you can, you know, again, take all that information that the customer has already given you and then use that to inform how you acquire future customers. You can develop creative based on what's worked well in the past. You can put it out into the world and you can find out instantly, is that actually converting and driving people's behavior in the way that I would like it to do? And if it's not, you know, you've sunk minimal amounts of money in it, you drop it, you move on and you try something different. And so I think that speed and that ability to move in a direct consumer environment is really, really interesting. And in terms of recruiting for that, I think the biggest soft skill that I think about in a direct environment is is comfort with change. There's, or, you know, it, there's nothing that makes you kind of question your strategic chops as a marketer as working in DTC because, you know, for years I worked in these organizations where your instinct and, and strategy was really what drove your plans. And here you do the same thing, but you you can validate whether or not your instinct was right really quickly. And Often it's not, um, and that's a very humbling experience as a marketer to work in DTC and be like, okay, everything uh, I've used, read, consumed, led me to believe that this would be the solution that works best. And you know, often that's just not how consumers play out. Um, and so you have to be able to swallow that, take the learning, move on, and keep going. Whereas I think for a lot of more strategic marketers who've worked in bigger organizations, it's hard to make that mental shift of like, but no, the data told us that that was the right strategy. Well, it doesn't matter because the real world is telling you something different and that's the more reliable data and that's how you have to move forward. So um, I think it's humbling and you need to make sure that you're building a team that that likes that experience of learning in real time and doesn't find it unsettling. Isn't it fascinating that just in the last seven or eight years, really, that direct-to-consumer as a uh, way of doing business has come to the forefront, so too has this, I don't even want to say disruption because it's just such a cliched term, but the complete break of traditional thinking with the way to go to consumers has changed as well with regard to marketing. And the way I think about it sometimes is like, well, you have your classic dichotomy of book smart versus street smart. And while that, I don't know how well that translates into marketing, it's very much like, well, we, we all thought because for years, dot, dot, dot. And well, nowadays what people actually want is dot, dot, dot. It's just such a cool way to turn. I, I probably like it's a whole paradigm shift, really, but it's just the way that you view things. It's a completely different lens, and, and uh, it's fascinating to me as well. That's why I have you on the show. That's why I have folks on the show from that side, especially right now, because it's, uh, it's the new wave, I suppose. When it comes to this data and the relationships that you build, let me start there first, and then I want to talk about the stories that they then tell, because that's got to be incredible rocket fuel for you. What are the newest ways 
in which these one-to-one relationships are being built. To date, it seems like it has absolutely been a foundation of what do you need for your hair and what does that mean for you? But I'm curious if there are other things that the business is thinking about. Well, let's let's think about, and I don't know if it's product related, doesn't have to be, but like what maybe higher than that are you considering when it comes to building either deeper or just more specifically one-to-one relationships with the consumers that you have? Yeah, so we obviously we get that that kind of baseline hair information as they go through our hair quiz and, and formulate their first purchase. I oversee the customer service team, and I think one of the other areas that we are putting increasing focus on is is not just the last transaction that they made with us and 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 how that played out, but what behavior have they had before, and making sure that we have a console that our customer service team can access to understand. You know, when did we acquire this customer? What have they purchased? How has that evolved over time? Um, I want to make sure that they know when they're talking to a customer who's purchased from us eight times versus a customer who's purchased from us once. Not to say that a one-time customer should get a less special experience, but you know, when you're talking to a really valuable customer who's had this depth of experience, the, the way that you're engaging with them should be from an informed perspective. So what are the tools that we're setting up our reps to make sure that they have that information on their fingertips? Um, from a marketing tool perspective, you know, I want to know, use the information that we've had on each of those different transactions to inform what emails they're getting. So if I'm going to start to, tr- to cross sell hair mask to different customers, I want to make sure that I'm not sending them an email as if they've never tried it before, if they have in fact tried it before. If they've tried it before and they haven't repurchased, then they should be getting a different email flow from someone who um, is continuing to purchase it as, as just an example. You know, I know what people's geographic location is so are we thinking about the email calendar for customers in the south differently from customers in the northeast as they navigate different things which by the way has an impact on their hair so um you know in the middle of of winter the messages that a new york customer is getting should be very different from a customer in miami so how are we again playing that out in terms of the emails that we're sending uh the social posts that we're putting out into the world how are we optimizing on all of those different axes. Definitely. And just as you have these unique uh, relationships and data points with people, so too are the ways then by definition in which way in which people must be talking about this. And whether it's because they've never seen a solution like this before, whether it's because they found a solution here that has met all of their needs, whereas before they could only get something that was 80%. And whether it's at at, at different points in the, the product and customer experience, so many different ways, maybe, I don't know about 54 trillion, but like there are certainly many ways in which folks can be talking about their experience with you. And again, whether they are first time buyers or whether they've done it for a long, long time. I'm curious in some of the ways in which you help people to share that story or maybe encourage people to share that story such that it's not function of you to saying, come here, we got 54 trillion different ways in which you could do your hair and there's only one that's right for you. Let's meet that. It's, well, let's get the story from Adam. Well, if I were to use function of beauty shampoo, like what, what would I say? How do you encourage those stories to be shared? I think the first thing that we did that fueled sharing was putting people's names on the packaging which a lot of um, people have followed in that, but we were really the first to do it. And that's one of the things that my boss talks about when he realized that he's like, okay, I think I'm onto something here when he saw people taking photos of their shampoo and conditioner and posting it on Instagram, because, you know, you never saw people take selfies with their head and shoulders before, you know, they're really not something. in a way that was considered genuine. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So this idea of like, it's so hyper-personalized that literally shows up in a box that's got function of Adam written on the box, written on the bottle. 
you get a sticker sheet that you can essentially decorate that package the way you want to. And so, so much of our UPC is actually just the, the product itself. And then every customer gets their own regimen card, which talks about the specific ingredients and components that were put into their formulation to be able to meet their hair goals. And so it feels like something that you, you're really proud of, like you yourself have formulated this based on what you need to know. And that is something that people inherently want to share. And so we find that happening pretty organically. Obviously, we want to fuel referrals. So, you know, we have a referral program in place that incentivizes people to share this with their friends so that they get some, um, you know, some, some credit into their account if they successfully refer friends. We encourage reviews. So part of our, you know, email flow, once we know the customer has had their product for a couple of weeks, ask them how it's going, encourage them to leave a review for us. So, um, you know, we have over 50,000 reviews at this point. Um, and you can go onto our website and you can search those reviews. Every single one of them is transparently available, uh, which is something I'm really proud of. A lot of companies will create their kind of best reviews. We make every single one of them there and, and visible for everyone to see. Um, and you can go on and you can be like, okay, I have coily hair. I want to see how other women with coily hair uh, rated this product. And so you can search according to those different parameters, which I think, again, just kind of fuels that, um, that conversation and that dialogue. We also, um, you know, use our social channels. So Instagram is a really big platform for us. We have um, around 700,000 followers on Instagram, which, you know, for a business that's five years old and, and of our scale is, is pretty significant. And we have really great engagement on that channel. And so inviting customers to share and participate, uh, tell us what their definition of beauty is and using that platform to showcase their selfies and the UGC that we are tagged in um, has been another opportunity for us to just, again, take those customer voices and bring them to the fore. Um, and then behind the scenes, I think we're just, we're always listening to the customer and getting the feedback and making sure that they feel heard. And so often, you know, if they have a good experience with our customer service team, we'll see them go on and talk about that, which is obviously um, just really great to see that, you know, they've had a one-on-one -on -one interaction that has been such a positive experience that they felt the need to go on and, and spread that word. Right. Well, that's great that you have all these different channels and that you're able to, I, I think I want to go back to something you said before, which is that people have the ability to have, their name right on the bottle. Now, l listeners, when's the last time that you went to the store, right, outside of a keychain or a magnet, and were able to find something that you could even have your name on? Maybe you share a Coke thing, but even that was just based on what you found in the refrigerated section. I mean, this is truly like embedding, deeply embedding personalization and, shall we say the A word? Yes, we shall. Authenticity into the way that you operationalize what a brand does. So I think that is super interesting. So Lorna, thank you for sharing that, as well as sharing some of the ways in which you encourage folks to share their story. I want to turn it around now that once that happens, right, because you've got so many people doing this everywhere, millions of times over, and at the very least, uh, 700,000 times over on Instagram, what are some of the ways in which you amplify that, in which you turn that around? Is it, uh, is it something that you're doing socially? Or are, there, are there other ways, other channels, other moments that you are picking to inject real consumer stories into the mix? What does that mean for you and for Function of Beauty today? Yeah, I think almost everything we do on social is actually amplifying our customer content more so than our own. Um, so there's very little of our feed, which is, is you know, shot photography that we've done in our studio. More often than not, what you see in those channels is our kind of us resharing user-generated content. 
all of the the people that you see on our Instagram channels are real customers who've tagged us in their selfies and their definition of beauty. And so we're kind of resharing and amplifying to our our audiences and always making sure that we give credit there to like, this is where these images have come from. Um, and then actually broadly across all of our marketing, we never use models. Um, so there's definitely instances where we've, you know, we've pulled together people in our network or influencers or whoever the case may be. And we, we have paid them for their time, but it's, they're not, you know, we don't go to modeling agencies and, and get a lookbook and select who we want to work with. We really are trying to make sure that, um, that we are getting a broad range of, of, of women. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about this product is when you can customize for hair type, hair structure, scalp moisture, hair goals, it is truly one of the most diverse product propositions you can have. It, it literally could work for everybody. Um, and so there's a really nice opportunity for us to, to pull back the curtain on that and really bring real people to the fore. So I think, you know, it's essentially using the tools that we have in our armor and making sure that those become platforms for our customers' voice versus just pure marketing messages. Right, exactly. I, sometimes, very rarely on this show, I'll, I'll bring up the concept of how does a brand become a platform? It's, it's very, I think it's a sort of a brand new way of thinking, but this is certainly a part of that, is how do you turn these different channels into platforms to have your people tell their story? And it's on that note of telling a story that I want to uh, ask another question here, which I think, you know, I've asked this question a bunch and I'm just, I'm not sure about it really, but to get to this whole concept of purpose, how everybody's got to be purpose-driven, purpose, 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 especially in 2020, it's something that people tend to care about a lot, but maybe let me ask it in a slightly different way. The ways in which people share today with Function of Beauty include taking selfies with their shampoo bottles, something like, as you said, would never happen with a bottle of head and shoulders unless their name happens to be head and shoulders. What are some ways in, in which you are stepping into the community with issues that are outside the bottle? Uh, I'm curious as to how values play into this. Similar to how everything that you do from a product perspective is unique, so too, or do people have unique causes and, and, and there are unique stances to take out there with regard to social issues? I'm, I'm just curious into the ways in which you tiptoe into that. Yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, we're obviously a relatively young business. And so a lot of our focus for the first few years was, you know, validating that this is even a, a space and a proposition that makes sense. And so I think so much of the early journey as a startup is about survival. Um, and then now I think, you know, we're, we're four to five years old now, and we're starting to, to really have the breathing room to take our head up and think about the longer term. And, you know, I, it, it kind of goes a little bit back to the founding story of the fact that these were a team of problem solvers that came together that happened to have started in hair care. And if you think about that, it really tells you that our purposes is around progress. And obviously we've, we've made a lot of progress in the hair care category, but thinking about how that can shape more broadly. And there's, there's definitely things that have, have materialized over the course of our journey, which we're really proud of, but we don't necessarily talk a lot externally. So one is being really thoughtful about, where we have set up business and where we have our manufacturing. So now because everything is custom made, uh, we have to be fully vertically integrated. So we have, even though we're only five years old, we have 380 full-time employees. And the bulk of our employees are in Catawissa, Pennsylvania, which is a pretty rural community in, in Pennsylvania. And that's because that's you know where our founder was from and he takes a huge amount of pride in bringing jobs and employment to to an area where you know it, 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 
just hasn't seen that kind of investment in a long time. So thoughtful about our local communities. We've also tried to make sure that we're taking that ability to solve problems quickly where there has been a broader need. So, you know, during COVID, we were in the incredibly fortunate position that we were able to keep our manufacturing going because we're in the personal care space and we're a direct consumer business. But we did in the space of four days, set up a hand sanitizer line and we're able to produce 70,000 hand sanitizers um, and distribute those to first responders, local hospitals, firefighters, police departments in the midst of the kind of peak of the first wave of COVID. And that, you know, it's not something we donated all of that. It's not something that became a core part of our business or something that we really talked about a lot. But I think it's, again, taking that ethos of being problem solvers and trying to figure out how to make progress when there's just a broader need. Um, there's loads of little micro examples of how we do that as a company kind of behind the scenes. And I think one of the challenges for me is to think about how do we start to uh, lean into that more from an external perspective. And we have some thoughts around how we can convey that and you know make sure our customers understand that part of our values and, and give them an opportunity to participate in it. But candidly, I, you know, I don't think we're in a place where we've really cracked that as yet. Hmm. Well, I look forward to seeing how you continue to, to crack that. And, uh, you know, there's obviously once you learn, once you figure out what you're going to do, obviously you'll be able to, uh, in the pursuit of a functions business, be able to rely on a bunch of data for that. Uh, exactly. Maybe there's some experiential data that I can rely upon just from you for this round out question. And listeners, you know what this is. It's when we ask our guests for advice. Now, specifically, this advice starts a little broad, but allow me to specify just a bit. The question that I normally ask is, what are some of your top tips to become more authentic as a brand in messaging or in marketing? But what I really mean there is that, is there a moment, was there a moment in your career to date? Was there advice that you got from a mentor or a boss? Was, was there a mistake you made that you learned really strongly from? Was there a pitfall that you may have avoided at some point that taught you the power of however you define this word, authenticity? And maybe that's important to go into as well because people look at that word differently. But in any case, the folks that listen to this show emulate the paths of the people who appear. And so I got to ask you before you go, Lorna, formally, what are your top tips on how to become more authentic? Um, I mean, you, you kind of threw me with the where have you failed and what have you learned? Because there's just too many examples to try and draw from. Um, I think one of the, the things that is clearer to me at this point in my career than it was maybe early in my career was that I think our job as marketers is less about coming up with a compelling narrative and message for our brands and it is actually much more about uncovering what is true and what is already there and so especially in a in a startup organization that's why i spent so much time with the co-founders trying to understand what was that starting motivation that brought them to this and how can i as a marketer just shine light on that in a clearer and more compelling way so I think that of just like, what's true for your organization? What makes your founders mad or your leadership mad? And how can you tell your customers about that in a way that they will relate and, and be excited about us tackling that challenge? Um, in terms of a piece of advice that I've received that has stayed with me, um, when I was at Coca-Cola, I worked for a guy called Derek von Rensburg. And he once said to me that marketing is a tax for being unremarkable. Um, which in the, in the short term, I found mildly offensive as someone who spent their entire career in marketing. But <laughs> what he meant by that was that if you really spend your time and energy making sure that you're focusing on the product itself and you are 
truly developing something that is meeting the needs of the consumer, that is delivering against their expectations. You don't need to overinvest in communication or you know, you don't have to bring out the jazz hands and 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 distract the customer from that core proposition. Um, and that has stuck with me. I'm like, how do we make sure that at the end of the day, what we're putting into people's hands is speaking for itself? And I think that is so often what will fuel word of mouth and positive sentiment and great feedback from the customer. Um, and so I've always tried to, since I got that advice, I've tried to really think about you know, the products that I'm choosing to spend my time marketing, do they speak for themselves? And can I really just shine a light on those benefits versus feel like I have to be compensating and making things up from a, from a marketing perspective? Yeah, that is a really interesting piece of advice. Can you, could you give you that quote one more time for our listeners? Because I think that's really an interesting thing for folks to take away and, and to think about. Maybe listeners, write, write it down here and, and, and take some notes to yourself today and think about this. Can you, can you say that for us one more time, Lorna? Sure. Marketing is a tax for being unremarkable. Marketing is a tax for being unremarkable. Well, listeners, you know from this show that people figure out ways to be remarkable, but as you build your brands, as you follow your journeys, as you emulate people like Lorna, figure out ways in which you can try and flip that on its on its head, you know, to say, hey, I don't need to be waving the jazz hands, as you colorfully put it. Thank you for doing that. Uh, I could be just doing this because it's just me. And as we trickle back to the A word that begins this show's name, that's certainly something that's very important. So for all of this, for learning more about what Function of Beauty is all about, for learning about the cool product experiences and ways that you let people share, and of course, all the data therein, it's a fantastic opportunity to have learned from you, to have learned about the business. So Lorna, thank you very much for joining the show. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you so much to Lorna Somerville for joining the show today. Now I kind of want a shampoo bottle with my name on it. I'd take a picture of that. Anybody would take a picture of that. If you enjoyed today's show and you want to hear more, I got a link for you. Type this on into your browser, podcast.vavoom.co. You want like 60 hours of this type of content? You got it. Right there is our entire digest of perspectives dating all the way back to October of 2018. Listen to how some of the top marketers in the world think about this topic. That, of course, being the A word, authenticity. Also, you can check me out on LinkedIn personally, Adam Connor, as well as my showcase page there, Authentic Influence Podcast. Join that buzzing community and never miss an upload when it goes live. Of course, you can do that on your podcast directories as well, where you can also leave ratings and reviews. But I really do enjoy the direct feedback. Let me know what you want to see next and maybe what you want to see less of, and I'll do my best to make it happen. Here's what I'm going to make happen right now. Another show. I'll be right back in a few days with another fantastic story about how a brand is mobilizing its masses to become more authentic each and every day. And until that happens, for Authentic Influence, I've been your host, Adam Connor, and you'll hear from me again next time.